Well, it's good to uh, be here with you this morning. Um, I actually am a member of this church. Well, I used to be. And there's a whole long story as to why I joined this church. I never worshipped here. So I was actually a good New England congregational member. Right? You have your membership, but you don't actually have to go to the church. But no, there was a technical reason related to a denomination that we were associated with where I had to be part of a congregational UCC church. And this is one. So anyway, that's a whole other story. That was a long time ago, Bill, but uh, I don't think I'm still here uh, on the rolls, which is probably very appropriate. But uh, I, I am blessed to be here. It has been uh, a, a wonderful uh, association with Bill and Marion. Uh, Marion, I'm glad to be here this morning. Bill and I go back a long way. I mean, Bill, the, the Earth's crust was still cooling back then. A lot of people <laughs> don't realize that, but uh, we were there. Uh, Bill was actually a mentor for me. I was uh, a little bit younger, but not much. And uh, newly minted pastor in Andover, Mass. And I get myself into trouble a lot, and I have to call. And Bill was, you know, who are you going to call? And uh, I called Bill. And Bill would talk me off the ledge and uh, guide me, give me counsel and pray. And we'd meet for lunch and breakfast. And every pastor needs that kind of person. And I like to think in a little bit of uh, in a little way, I've, I've been that for Brent. And I've gotten to know him and really respect him. And he's doing a great job. You're blessed to have him. And he's uh, blessed to have this church. So, um, all that to say, and that's kind of what I'm doing now with Overseed. And uh, glad to be still, still serving. Um, I want to talk this morning about this ancient. Uh, this modern problem uh, of anxiety. We are living in very anxious times, there's no question about it. There's lots of reasons for that. Uh, our whole society, as you know, you probably track this with uh, on line or on the news, but anxiety among children, among young children and, uh, and older children, uh, raising just off the chart. And it's, it's so sad, it's so discouraging, because we think it's an adult problem. It should be an adult problem, but it's it's uh, trickling down with with younger people. Um, I came across a, a study um, done a number of years ago by the National Sleep Disorders Institute, and I have been a card-carrying member of that society for a long time in my life with insomnia. So anyway, but it was a study done um, about dreams and nightmares. It is said married men are two times more likely to have nightmares than single men. Don't draw any conclusions from that, okay? Married men are two times more likely to have nightmares than married women. The major topic of their nightmares, 72%, are anxiety over the inability to provide for the financial needs of wives and Interesting. That's just one source of anxiety for us. There are so many other other sources of anxiety. I want us to uh, think about this this morning, and uh, we're going to uh, let me just put some stuff away here. We're going to uh, look at a couple of passages, and um, 
Please see, you know something? I actually need something else from my... I'll be right back. <laughs> I guess I wasn't anxious enough this morning because I didn't, but I, I can read the scriptures, I've got them right here. I thought I had them already printed out somewhere, but one last check. This is very embarrassing, you know, this should not happen to me, uh, but it is. Alright, no worry. I'm gonna, we're going to look at a couple of passages uh, from the Old Testament, one from the book of 2 Samuel, about David, and we'll, we'll say a little bit about that. And I'm going to take my watch off just to keep an eye on time because you don't have a clock. Every church should have a big clock at the back, okay? And uh, so this can always be a little worried when a pastor takes his watch off. So, okay, we're set now. Um, we're going to look at an incident to the life of David, and I will I will read that. And uh, we're going to. Oh wait, I just found my note. Good. <laughs> Uh, an incident that took place in the life of David, the greatest king of Israel, a uh, thousand years before Christ. Uh, and then we're going to look at David's own reflection on this incident. It was the greatest crisis of David's life, and, and he actually reflected on it in Psalm 62. Many scholars believe that Psalm 62 is actually David's reflection on this incident that happened. And I think you'll see it in the context of the, the psalm. So is, here's the road now. We're going to look at the incident, then we're going to look at the response in the psalm, and then I'm going to just make three reflections on anxiety and how we see David dealing with it and how we can, in our own lives, face the anxious thoughts that we have, because we all have them. Uh, but before we do all that, let me pray. Let me pray for you and let me pray for me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be our teacher this morning. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. All right, here's the incident. It happened late in David's life, just as he was in the golden years. Uh, the scripture says he had peace from his enemies and in the... The uh, kingdom was, was stable and all of that. And then something happened that proved to be the greatest threat that he ever faced. And this is what happened. David, as you may know, um, had a lot of wives and a lot of children by different, those different wives. And it was really kind of a very complex family. Maybe some of you are in very complicated family situations right now. Well, you, you will empathize with David. His family situation was very complicated. In fact, it really was in many ways tragic because one of his sons, a man named Amnon, raped his half-sister, uh, Tamar, and in an, in an, honor, an honor killing, uh, which was certainly acceptable at the time, Tamar's brother, Absalom, killed Amnon. A horrible, horrible situation. David didn't handle it too well. David humiliated 
uh, his son Absalom and banished him from the kingdom. And, and again, in that culture, there, in some cultures today, there are these uh, mercy killings, these, these honor killings, rather. And they're tragic, they're horrible. But that was the, that was the, uh, the, that was the culture. And so uh, David banishes Absalom. And Absalom just stews in that rejection from his father and the humiliation of it. And over time, he gathers a following around him and, and creates an army and moves against his own father to dethrone him. And this is, I'm just going to read a little portion from 2 Samuel 15. Uh, it tells the whole story there, but you'll, you'll get the gist of it here. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on, on us and put the city to the sword. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people, the, the retinue, passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, this is Jerusalem, and all the people moved on toward the wilderness. Zadok was there too, he was one of the priests, and all the Levites, they were the priests, who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God, the wooden box that was the presence of God. You all saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, so you're experts on these things, okay? And in that, they were taking that box, the Ark, with all the, all the uh, amazing uh, evidences of God's acts through their, their history with Moses and all, because they wanted God's presence with them against this crisis. Listen to what David says. Then the king said to Zadok, and this is David's greatest moment in my opinion, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it in his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. Um, and so they took the ark back and then they continued weeping and went out into the desert. Um, I think that's David's greatest moment. Think of David, all the things he accomplished, starting you know, with killing Goliath, their enemy, but then also making Jerusalem the home, it is the, the capital of his kingdom, it is still today. Um, he, he wrote half the Psalms, uh, the greatest warrior king they ever had, the greatest king Israel ever had. You think of all of those accomplishments, in my view, this is David's greatest moment. This is where he is absolutely surrendering his will to, will to the will of God and putting himself completely in God's hands. Um, all right, that's the incident. Let's look at the reflection. And this is uh, common in Psalm 62, David's own response to it. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? How long how, would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? What, a, what an image that is, huh? We sometimes feel that way. 
Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies with their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a life. Weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. And that's David's response. Um, now let me make some reflections. Three things about the fears that we face, the anxieties. And fear and anxiety are a little different. Fear is often very focused. You know, we, we have specific phobias, fears of spiders or snakes. There's actually a fear of church. I don't know if you knew that. There are people who have a, have a diagnosable uh, neurotic response to church, uh, which is too bad, you know, but it's, it's, it's very real. Uh, fears are often more focused. Um, anxiety is, is more vague than that. It's often um, kind of a, just a sense of dread. We don't, we don't often even know why. Um, it, it, it's somewhat amorphous very often. And, and we, we, now there's a, there's a good kind of anxiety, and that's the anxiety that we have when we're trying to do something right. We're, we're very conscientious people about our work and about other things. I was, I was anxious this morning as I was thinking about this because I wanted to do a good job here. I want God to be glorified and, you know, I want you to like me, okay? Be honest here. And, uh, and, and so there's a, there's a sort of normal anxiety that it's okay. It, and it just goes with life. That's not the, the anxiety that's troubling. The anxiety that's troubling is, is deeper than that. And so the first thing that we see is, that I say from this passage, is that we're to face our fears. Because it's easy to deny them. Um, David faces his fear right on. He knows what's going on. He says in verse 3 and 4, How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me. From my lofty place. I mean, he was king of the mountain, literally. And his own son wanted to dethrone him. Um, and, and he faces it. He, he, see, our natural response when we have some kind of a perceived threat is to deny it. The light comes on on the dashboard of your car and you hope it just goes away. Right? They usually don't. Uh, a little leak in the roof, and you just hope the next time it rains it won't leak. But it does. We, we live in kind of a denial. We are all averse to problems and conflicts, relationships, there's some tension in a relationship, and instead of facing it and dealing with it, we just hope it'll go away and that the next time we see that person, you know, the tension won't be there. It'll go on. Well, it doesn't usually go away. And so we, we face our fears. David did. Denial is our first response. 
But after that, we need to um, face up to whatever it is that, that, that we're, we're confronting. Um, Bill would probably know this, being a great baseball fan, but there was a major league player, this about 30 years ago, there's an actual National League player named Dave, Dave Dravecki. He uh, played for the San Francisco Giants. He was a left-handed pitcher. And he was, he was in uh, the 1988 playoffs and pitching, and he noticed a lump in his pitching arm. And uh, they quickly examined the diagnosis that there was cancer. And his career was over. In the offseason, so they did surgery. In the offseason, uh, he became a Christian the influence of teammates and all. And uh, he, he staged an amazing comeback. He overcame the cancer. And he was actually back pitching the next season. His first outing, one of the first pitches he threw, there was a lot of crack, so loud that the, his, his teammates in the dugout heard it. His arm broke again. The cancer was back. And this time, it was, there was gonna be no coming back. He underwent surgery, came out of recovery, he's in the room. I, I read this incident years ago. He, he looked in the mirror and he said it looked like the whole left side of my body was gone. They had to take the arm, they had to take the shoulder. And he said, I, I looked and I, I said, okay, Lord, this is the hand you have dealt me. Help me face it. He went into a two-year depression after that, but with the support of his wife, his church, uh, Christian friends, and counseling, he came out of that. And Dave Dravecki is still alive today. He's a motivational speaker. If you Google him, he is speaking in churches all across the country about how to overcome adversity. But I have often prayed that same prayer that he prayed. All right, Lord, you know you're facing a difficult situation. All right, Lord, this, this is it. This, this is what I'm dealing with. Help me, help me face it. First thing. Second thing is you face your fears, you trace your fears. Because as I said, they're often kind of amorphous and vague. In verse 9, we see how David zeroes in on why this is such a threat to him. Low-born men are but a breath, the high-born are but a lie. If weighed in the balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath uh, in, in his other verses. But basically what David is saying is, I am totally vulnerable. I, I, I am, I am, he's so aware of the brevity of his life, the fragility of his life. He said, we're just like a vapor, we're just like a breath. We are that vulnerable. And, and that's why we become anxious, because we sense that there is something that is threatening our very existence. Many, many years ago, well, back even before Bill and I, like 1600 years ago, that was before us, Bill. Uh, Augustine or Augustine, one of the greatest Christian thinkers ever has really shaped how we, how we interpret the Bible in many ways, uh, about 400 years after Christ. Augustine said this about anxiety. He said, anxiety is the smoke 
from a collapsing idol. Let me say it again. Anxiety is the smoke from a collapsing idol. It's vivid and it's profound. Anxiety is vague, like smoke. As I said, it's kind of amorphous. It's vaporous. Uh, but like smoke, which points to fire, where the smoke is fire, anxiety points to something that is under threat. An idol. Um, our, our idols are good, for the most part, unless you're worshiping a little demonic statue in your backyard, then the idols, the things that we value most highly are good. Our families, our marriages, our children, our, our work, our health, our, our homes, uh, all of that. Our churches, these are all good things, but they can all become idolatrous. They become idolatrous when the, the many things replace the one thing. When we sense that something that we have been counting on for our hope, our meaning, our purpose, our love, is being threatened, we become anxious. We get, we, we get even before it has been taken from us, we get inklings that this is not going to be here for us. Maybe, maybe here in, in the church, you, you get a new picture and things start to change and you're sitting out there and you have the sense that Things are changing here. If you've been a long time member here, then you may become anxious because you, you're thinking the way we used to do things isn't the way we're going to do things now. And, and, and that causes us to become anxious. When something that we want and hope is going to be there, isn't going to be there, we become anxious. And so it's, it's vital that we, we figure out what is the idol that is being threatened. And not all anxiety is this, I said. But generally speaking, the anxiety that we experience is because something that we have put too much hope in, too much faith in, it has become the most important thing perhaps in our life, is under threat. And our world is under threat. Uh, a number of years ago, I lost my cell phone and uh, it was back before you could locate a phone. It was back before, uh, you know, we had storage in the cloud. And so I was going to lose my contacts. I'd have to replace the phone. You know, uh, the first thing my wife said was, well, let me call it. I said, don't bother. I turned it off. You know what I learned from that? Never turn your phone off. I don't care if you're at Symphony Hall in the midst of some beautiful, you know, uh, piece of music. Leave your phone on. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Um, I, I said, no, you, don't worry. Don't bother you. I turned it off. I called my kids, you know. They're home. Do you, you know what? Do I need my phone in your place? No, but let me call them. Don't bother. And everybody said the same thing. Try to remember what your mother told you. Try to remember where you last had it, right? I tried. didn't work. I went to bed that night, and I couldn't sleep. It was bothering me. I'm thinking, why? It's not replacing the phone. I can do that. I can even reconstruct the contacts. Why is this bothering me so much? And it took a while to figure it out, but eventually I, I traced it. Control. I was out of control. 
I was careless. Am I starting to lose some mental fat functioning here? Right? You get old, you think about that. Uh, what was going on? Control. I was out of control. And, and I confess, in my life, that has been a problem for me. That has been idolatrous. It has gotten me into trouble because I want to, I want things to turn out the way I want them. I want my plans to work out. And this, you know, there's good things about managing and all of that, but it can become idolatrous. And in my case, it was. And this was a, a way for me to, to realize that. Um, face the problem. This, the anxiety. Trace it. It will point you to an idol in your life. And then finally, face, trace. I got a third rhyme here. Replace. Replace your fears by making God the one thing. And we see how David did this. He says, he puts God in the number one place. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I will never be shaken. Find rest, O oh my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. I said this was David's greatest moment. Because here he prays the most difficult prayer of all. The hardest thing we ever do, and yet the most important thing we ever do, is say, not my will, but thy will be done. The only way we can conquer our anxieties, and we've never conquered them completely in this life, we know, is to make sure that Jesus Christ is in that number one place and not whatever it is that we have held on to and treasured, because we will lose that. We learn to replace our fears in the school of Gethsemane. That mystery that happened the night before Jesus' crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And I can't understand this, and I don't think any theologian can explain it. But in that prayer that Jesus prayed, where he struggled with whether, uh, whether uh, struggled with the whole idea of going to the cross, and he prays and he says, Father, if it be your will, let this cup of suffering pass. Let me not have to go through the cross. And I can't understand it, but there is a battle of wills going on there. It's almost like Jesus doesn't fully know the will of God. And you say, how is that possible? God the Father, God the Son. And yet that's what's revealed. And it's, it's so important for us because that's our daily battle. Every day we are engaged in a battle as to whether we will do what we want or whether we will do what we know God wants. And, and that battle rages back and forth. 
And it was in that garden that Jesus set the example for all of us for a long time. Not my will, but thy will be done. It's, it's the prayer of relinquishment. The prayer of relinquishment is, is the only prayer that God will always answer. He will always, it's the best prayer we can ever pray. Lord, I want this. I really have set my hopes on this. I need this for my meaning and my purpose and my significance in life. I really need this. I want this. David, he's going to lose his life. He's going to lose his family. They're all going to be slaughtered. He's going to lose his honor, his legacy. Instead of being the greatest king, it's all going to be wiped away. He stands to lose everything. And yet he says, if that's what you want, I'm ready. We say that in the Lord's Prayer. Not my will, but thy will be done. That is the only way we slay the idols and conquer the giant of anxiety. Um, the result is we have peace, we have rest, we experience God's love. There's an incredible sense of peace that comes, as you know, when we finally surrender. And uh, we say, all right, God, uh, if I'm not to find my phone, <laughs> that's okay. You've spoken to me. Well, I found my phone. Good news. And uh, David didn't die. Absalom's army was conquered. And David said, don't harm my son. Spare his life. But his own military people disobeyed him. And they killed Absalom. And David grieved him. Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. Uh, grieved him. And his life was never the same after that. I think the lessons are there for us. We all have anxiety. We'll all experience it until the day we die one way or another. But if we can face it, if we can track it down, trace it to its idol, and then if we can take that idol out of the number one place and put the only one who belongs in that place, then we will deal with our anxieties. Rededicate your life to Christ. If something has taken that place, put Christ back in the number one spot. If you've never given your life to Christ, this is a great church. Why not? What have you got to lose? You've got everything to gain. He's there for you. And David kind of sums this all up by saying one thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. We surrender to him, we experience his love, overwhelming love in Jesus Christ who died for us. And we experience his strength for every situation in life. Amen.